Welcome to Based Liberty. I'm your host, Darren Wisely. I'm not politically correct, and I'm not afraid of the consequences for the things I say. I'm simply here to speak the truth as I see it from where I'm standing and let the chips fall where they may. Welcome to Based Liberty, fellow thought criminal. Welcome to Based Liberty, episode 68. It's Tuesday, June 1st, 2021. Darren Wisely here, and I'm thrilled to be with you today because I have a very special guest, Dr. Mark Trozzi. Now, we all talk about fighting the insanity going on, but Dr. Trozzi does a lot more than just share memes and argue with midwits on Facebook. He's practiced medicine over 25 years and was an emergency room doctor in Canada until he couldn't take it anymore with the COVID criminal enterprise. So he quit, he uprooted his family, moved to a much more modest lifestyle to go full-time into sharing the truth with people because he had so much conviction about everything that was going on. Now that is putting your money where your mouth is. So he's got a ton of good info for you today, and I've once again got to thank Tank Girl for reaching out and setting this up, so thanks a lot. But we talk PCR, masks, vaccines, and all about the nefarious Ferengis running things. But it's all in here. And, of course, I'll link to his website and all that good stuff. But uh, let's just get into it. Here is the heroic Dr. Trozzi. So, uh, well, my background, uh, I graduated University of Western Ontario Medical School in 1990. I've been practicing emergency medicine in Ontario for more than 25 years. Uh, I've been uh, a teacher at a couple of universities. Um, particularly, I've been involved in teaching critical resuscitation skills. And, uh, you know, other, somewhat uneventful career aside from that, never really had any problems and always got along with hospitals I worked at and administration and never really was bucking anything i wasn't particularly anti-vaccine or pro-vaccine uh kind of always had a balanced thinking on that i think and then that kind of that leads us into 2020 the big change for all of us uh and um so when this started uh i actually was i was off maybe for the first week um I was traveling and so I returned uh, to my uh, area in Ontario where I was working and I was back on the, I guess what's called the, the front line in the emergency departments um, by the beginning of March 2020. And I think like anyone, I was cautious, you know, you somewhat assume that it's real, somewhat assume that we're getting real information. So um you know masking and getting involved in all the precautions um but it it soon became fairly apparent to me that something was amiss um on multiple fronts i mean one was the news was saying that hospitals were inundated with people dying of covid and that there was lots of covid and the reality was I had worked very hard for the 25 years preceding that. And that was the beginning of like the absolute quietest time I'd ever experienced to the point of, I I recall having some 14 hour emergency shifts. Actually that was at a particular center that was, that was um, set aside as the COVID dirty center for that region. But um I actually had 14 hour shifts with zero patients. I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. I'd been working hard for 25 years. Wow. And, and then I would reach, I, I, I would, you know, I have friends all over North America, including Michigan. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it seemed that a similar story was evolving. Like if you talk to real people who would actually go and look at a hospital and actually in a hospital, they're like, no, it's not swamped here. It's dead. Um, so that, that, that was a bit of a wake up, you know, I'd go to the grocery store and, and people would treat me like some kind of hero. And the truth was 
I was actually getting paid for just being present and wearing a costume for the COVID theater, as I come to call it. And in around that time too, I mean, of course, if we're faced with a potentially deadly disease, uh, my reaction naturally is a lot of research. So fairly quickly, I became aware of, of uh, sorry, hydroxychloroquine and zinc. And, and I was quite surprised how this was all brushed aside by, by colleagues and by the institutions that govern us, um, which is kind of unusual because you know, we, I'm just moving a little bit for a little bit of better lighting here. Um, because, you know, we, we practice medicine differently, all of us. I mean, uh, people choose their doctor based on perhaps their, their characteristics. You know, I mean, some people want to see a doctor who will give them nutrition advice and help them seek natural cures. And there's other people who just want to be, you know, given medication and, and don't really you know so there's there's lots of room to have each patient to have the freedom to choose their doctor and doctors right. to have the freedom to speak freely but i was just blown away how this was all everyone had to march to one one drum and and you know it became very obvious as i did my research you know this dr tedros fellow what a mm -hmm. what a suspicious character with a suspicious propping in place by the chinese and then of course our in canada our uh, chief medical officer who's actually on the steering committee of the world health organization and um and and uh, you know unfortunately canada is is one of the worst countries right now in terms of extreme compliance with this tyrannical measures um so i continued to work in the field um i found it increasingly uncomfortable uh i came to a point where just putting on the mask uh, and I'm and I'm a person who actually on the spectrum of doctors I practice probably more intense hygiene. You know, on the spectrum I've been told okay. by hygiene auditors like, "Wow, Dr. Trozzi, you wash your hands more than most. You use masks appropriately more than most." So for me to be saying, "Why are we wearing these masks? They're just hurting us, and it makes no sense, and it's not even what they're made for." Um, and it, it got to a point where I I felt guilty because just even that act alone, I was endorsing this thing, and I was I felt that I was now telling patients without even speaking a word oh yeah this is all real you know see me also yeah. wearing this muzzle um and uh so all along the way i i was researching and of course you know naturally i start my research starts with the biology i mean i'm a medical doctor not a not a politician right um but the medicine made no sense mm -hmm. uh and and the geopolitics of this became very apparent um, so even as an amateur in the, in the realm of analyzing geopolitics, it became very clear that there was indeed a grand deception going on. And, uh, and then eventually, um, it was getting to the point where, uh, I was having the beginnings of problems with administration. Um, I had a colleague where, who you, usually him and I have had enjoyed some very, um, constructive debates on medical issues you know like we, we would talk trauma medicine and talk about different approaches and you know what there are different approaches and there are you know we're kind of children playing with god's toys so of course there's there's no absolutes and i was surprised you know to be told our job is not to question the mandates of public health mm. i was shocked to be told that you know the college was saying do not prescribe hydroxychloroquine um and uh I became increasingly uncomfortable. I found myself in a position where, uh, because I'd been off, I, I had a little food poisoning one day, I think from a bad chicken burrito. And, and I was told that I would have to submit myself as I would consider it to a PCR nasal swab mm -hmm. to return to work. Uh, I personally do not endorse forced medical treatment, forced medical uh, investigations, especially in this case, which is clearly nefarious. So that was pretty much the end of my work at that center. And within, um, by February, I withdrew myself from all clinical work. I basically just put my earning career anyways on hold and just have committed myself full-time to researching what's going on and sharing that information um, with people. And I guess largely from a Canadian perspective, because uh that that is my job my job is to provide medical care in canada and though i can't 
or I won't, I won't do that within this. I will not participate in this. I will not, you know, it's criminal. It's a violation of the Nuremberg code, right? It's a violation of the golden rule. It's a violation yeah. of the Hippocratic oath. I refuse to participate. So I withdrew myself, uh, moved out of my house, downscaled my existence. Mm -hmm. And this is what I do. I, uh, I research COVID on every level. And I, I, I am involved in many groups trying to right what is wrong. And so that's, that's kind of my history getting to where we are today. Yeah, when I saw on your website that you, you know, quit from there and you packed up and moved your family, I'm like, wow, that's, that's a big transition. I mean, for anyone to make, but I think that shows that, you know, you know how serious this is. You're not just Oh, you know, a few things are weird. You're like, no, this is, this is really messed up and I have to get the word out there. So to me, that just the fact that you changed your lifestyle, that speaks volumes. Um, I also really like what you have here on your website. These three rules I recognize to be the highest, the golden rule, respect for the creator and love for the sacred mother earth. I think that's, uh, that's really cool. So I, I think it's great, you know, that you're willing to come come speak out. Um, so let's first start with this PCR test that you mentioned. I've, I've seen some of your work on there and I think I have a few notes here, but you talked about it, um, you know, the false positives, the way the, the cycles were. And I know recently they've cranked those down. Um, was it the World Health Organization or CDC who, who mentioned that? But if you wanna explain that, yeah, sure. So, so the PCR test um, it, it cannot diagnose disease. First of all, um, it does not demonstrate the presence of an intact virus. So, in other words, you don't have to have one live or potentially live virus in your nasal pharynx to get a positive PCR test. It's even questionable that you need to specifically have coronavirus of of COVID twenty nineteen as opposed to other coronaviruses, but all it's testing for is a fragment of genetic material of a coronavirus. By the way, coronavirus, if you looked in the dictionary a year ago, you would have seen the dictionary definition was, yeah, one of the common causes of the common cold. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not Ebola. This is not some wild fatal disease, but in any event, so the trick of the PCR is polymerase chain reaction. So what it does is it's able to uh, take scraps of genetic material that, that it has on the swab, and it's able to double them through one cycle of the reaction. So if, you, if it had you know, one little section of some uh, messenger RNA, for instance, of the COVID coronavirus, it would, it would double it. And then you do that again, it doubles it again, doubles it again. So it's, a, it's an exponential curve and, and so a curve like that, initially it goes up slowly, but the further you go, it goes up steeper and steeper and steeper. Right. And it becomes ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so the, the inventor of this uh, initial technology, I mean, he was very active at the beginning of this uh, uh, COVID enterprise saying that this test was never meant to do that. But the other issue becomes um, how many cycles you run that will determine how likely it is to appear positive. Uh, and, and so the difference between 20 cycles and 40 cycles, it's not the difference between 20 and 40. It's, it's the difference between times two, times two, mm -hmm. times two, 40 times. I mean, this is a phenomenal increased number. And, um, and it's generally recognized that even if you were going to put some weight, and you should not put total weight on a PCR study, but even if you're going to put some weight on it, uh, anything over 20 cycles is considered invalid. And yet most labs through this entire period have been running 40, 45 cycles. Right. And that's why you get all these people who aren't sick. And is there a scrap of genetic material in their nasal pharynx from a cold? Well, you know, when you consider most of us have in our body an atom that belonged to Jesus or an atom that belonged to Hitler at some point. I mean, when, when you deal with microbiologic uh, quantities, of course, there's a scrap of messenger RNA from a cold somewhere in my nose. Mm -hmm. 
So um, it, it's it's really a fraudulent and it's a very manipulatable test. I understand in in uh, in your country, in the states, with what you folks have gone through. I understand that as as your I guess your appointed overlord uh, Biden took, and I, I I empathize with you guys. We're in the same situation. Right. Took took the seat uh, that the World Health Organization announced to reduce the cycles to 20. So, you know, that could create the impression magically that Biden cured COVID. Saved the day. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's very manipulable. Yeah. And, and a thing that people need to, to realize is, is we know that this asymptomatic transmission um, is not real. Right. And, and, and worrying about people who aren't sick making you sick I mean, that's madness. That's the sort of thing that Howard Hughes locked in his basement with long fingernails, you know? Yeah. Um, so this forced germophobia and, and the PCR test being used to support this. I mean, people, people who listen to mainstream media, and I don't know why anyone does anymore. Yeah. You know, what do they hear? Oh, another 3,000 cases, record cases. Well, you know, if you look around, there's nobody sick. Exactly. I know people who've died after getting these criminal injections that are mm -hmm. being mislabeled as vaccines but i don't personally know people who've died from COVID. i'm sure there are but there's mm -hmm. people who died of the flu and there's people who've died of lightning strikes i mean and yeah. it's a big world but the pcr test is is invalid it's completely manipulable and it's being used to to herd mankind wherever they want to hurt us yeah it's it, it's creepy it's uh it's very orwellian as i know you've said um and you know, you touched on on your website just the how they abuse the statistics, the reporting. Um, I think that you know it, it's just crazy, like you said, how they've made us live in fear. Because you know, I remember spring break last year, kids going out and they're acting like they're they're criminals. You know, you want to kill grandma and and that sort of thing. And again, none of this is is based on any real science and. For me, you know, I don't have obviously the expertise you do, and that's why I'm so thankful to someone like you who's willing to speak out. But just logically, you know, if this was the world's biggest, deadliest pandemic, then we would see people, you know, dying on the streets, or or these hospitals would be so overcrowded. But to me, just logically, not having the you know the technical understanding, but logically, it's like there would be someone I knew who died from this, who was perfectly healthy, if their narrative was true. So I, I think that that tells a lot. Um, do you want to touch on like herd immunity? I think you said that we should all have that by now or be pretty close to it. Yeah, you'd, you'd think. And, and um, there's an interesting studies that were done uh, most significantly in Singapore. Um, and they looked at, they looked at um, well, they looked at cellular immunity. So there's a difference between antibody immunity and cellular immunity. So if you go back to uh, last approximately April, you had a good group of doctors down in Orangeville County uh, in California who said, hey, let's do a lot of antibody studies. Don't worry, I got a few bugs flying in here. Let's do uh, antibody studies on people who aren't sick. And, and they found lots of antibodies and said, wow, it looks like there's lots of disease and a little death. And that was a kind of common quote from them before they were banished um, by the institutions that are, right. are obviously accomplices in the criminality of what's happening. Right. But the other thing is that there's a cellular immunity uh, that isn't just demonstrated by antibody presence. And um, so studies that have looked at cellular immunity uh, have demonstrated that, that people who had uh, SARS, mm -hmm. so, uh, which is also a coronavirus, right. but it's, it's only 80% genetically the same as SARS-CoV-2. So SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2 are actually pretty distant relatives in the, in the group of coronaviruses. Despite that, people who had uh, SARS, we'll call it SARS-CoV-1, that had that 17 years ago demonstrate robust immunity to SARS-CoV-2. So uh, 
there's 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 a lot more immunity out that and that in the studies that they did they found like 30 to 50 percent of people as well they found about another 25 percent of people in those studies uh had new immunity because of being exposed to this COVID 19 or the sars cov 2. um and we know that for 80 percent of people or so uh that caught sars cov one when I or curve two when I think it was going around, eighty uh, percent of people had no symptoms or mild symptoms. So a lot of people encountered this. They had existing immunity or they built new immunity without really noticing they were sick. So when you add those numbers together, if you have between thirty and fifty people, thirty and fifty percent immune from what happened seventeen years ago, and then you have another maybe twenty-five percent, and this is a few months ago immune due to new exposure i mean it puts you in the 55 to 75 percent yeah. immune um which is very good for for herd immunity but with these with these injections and these interventions we're introducing a different danger because immunity a naturally acquired immunity to coronaviruses is as we see in that study it's very broad in other words immunity to a coronavirus that has got 20% difference from the, the, this now famous COVID-19 virus, they had great immunity. The trick is um, people who survived the initial side effects of the injections um, and after the genetic material triggers them making modified pieces of virus in their body and then eventually triggers them to make some antibodies. The antibodies they make are very specific Dr. Michael Yeadon has explained this very well. So now you have very specific immunity, um, which can do two things. One is that can cause the viruses to mutate slightly and become slight variants. Like the biggest variant that they've been talking about over the, over the last few months out of Africa is I believe 0.3% uh, different, not 20% different. Mm -hmm. But by giving people this very specific antibodies, that these antibodies have other problems as well, but in this respect, um, you're, you're suppressing that broad natural immunity. So you actually can create people who are susceptible to all these variants. So in other words, people that didn't take these injections and have or develop natural immunity will, will be broadly immune. Whereas it, it's, it's very likely that people that pump out some of these artificial antibodies to these modified spike proteins made by genetically hacking their cells with viral genetic material, that they'll actually be very vulnerable, right? Now, now here's the trick, the way these criminals work is, is then you have people, uh, maybe you will have people getting sick and dying with these variants, people with these suppressed systems, and what will the mainstream media and the, the, you know, the, the corrupt politicians and whatnot tell us is, oh my God, you need another vaccine because, mm, yeah. So I, I really fear that we're seeing so many people who've taken these injections and the results of those injections will be used to generate a fake impression that the best thing for people to do is go and get the injections. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good point and definitely something to keep an eye on. And that, and that's, kind of what I wanted to get into next is these vaccines. And of course, I'm putting them in air quotes, so-called vaccines from, um, you know, as you say, the, the COVID criminal enterprise, and, and that's what they are. I call, I'd call them the COVID cult or COVID liturgy. Um, but it seems like, you know, every time you turn on the TV, get your vaccine, of course, social media, everyone's got their selfie, which to me is just so odd because I never saw before COVID people taking pictures of a you know, uh, getting a vaccine, but what can you tell us about, you know, you touched on it a little bit, but um, this is clearly experimental and it, it's not technically, I guess, a vaccine. Yeah, so um, yeah, that's very true. And, and um, er, er, fairly early, like some months back, I put a video up on the website called, this is not a vaccine. Mm -hmm. This is a good six, I, I can't remember, it's about eight minutes or whatever, but it, it's a good review. Um, right now, I've, I've been working like the last month, I've been sort of buried in 
kind of researching all the different abbeys and clarifying and, I, and i'm in the finishing work of an article i'm going to publish soon and then i'll put some videos that follow it so even like uh for yourself um as a public figure i'll have a an article up fairly soon like hopefully within the week which will be it'll be a long one but there's so much to look at yeah, this stuff. i'll share it, it will, all around yeah. oh thanks and it will make it understandable like it, it, it's going to be a little mm -hmm. homework but i'm i'm trying to step far enough away from just medical jargon because mm -hmm. people can understand this stuff just as well as if my mechanic takes his time and i can understand what is going on with my car or whatever so mm -hmm. um so with regards to the vaccines i mean there's really all of them none of them they're going to change the definitions of, of words and they're doing that mm -hmm. now but i don't accept that like you, you can't just make up word may tell me you know you could tell me this is metal but that's wood You're right. right um so a vaccine traditionally and, and I've not, i'm not an anti-vaxxer i'm also not mm -hmm. a pro-vax those those are very yeah. absolute ways of thinking but vaccine what you what it, the history of vaccines is is you get uh, either orally or injected you get a little bit of the thing that you're vaccinated against, so, but it's it's weakened or it's deadened or it's mm -hmm. fragged, so it can't actually give you an infection, but it presents to your body and to your immune system surface markings of that infection, which ideally trigger your body to produce antibodies. And following that, your your body will have the memory of making those antibodies, so that if you get that disease later, your body can quickly produce lots of these antibodies and kill the infection before it actually causes you any symptoms. So that's a vaccine. So mm -hmm. but the thing in injection, whether you're taking the polio vaccine or a tetanus shot, you're getting a little bit of the thing you're vaccinated again, but either deadened or weakened or even just fragmented. That's vaccines. These injections, these experimental injections, um, so, all, all, all of all the four main ones, uh, and they're divided into two categories. But ultimately, what they're doing by two different methods, and I'll go into that, is they are sneaking into your cells a modified, and that's scary when you look at who's making this mm -hmm. stuff, but a modified messenger RNA um, for Sorry, the spike. What's that? My cat came up here. Oh, cool. Oh, don't worry. I got a, a I got a little a mosquito bug in here for the spike glycoprotein or something like it of the mm -hmm. coronavirus. So what that means is, you know, normally your cells make your protein. So inside your nucleus is your DNA. A little section of DNA opens up. A messenger RNA is made that's a kind of a copy off that template. That's then moved out of the nucleus into the larger part of the cell. It engages with a, a special two-unit protein called the ribosome, and that ribosome reads along that message and assembles amino acids in the corresponding order, and what's produced is a protein, which is actually proteins are like very sophisticated machines that do all the, the functions in our body. But in this case, the messenger RNA is not your messenger RNA. The messenger RNA belongs to Pfizer or Moderna. Or, mm. and, and it engages with your ribosome once it's in there. And it utilizes your ribosome to make their special spike glycoprotein, a modified spike glycoprotein. And spike glycoprotein, if you look at the coronavirus pictures that are famous with all the parts sticking out, well, on mm. the parts sticking out, the spike glycoprotein is the part of the virus that that adheres to our cells using what are called our ACE2 receptors. So these are receptors that normally are meant for our hormones to attach to, but that's how the virus attaches. And then once it's done that, the virus will fuse and put in its contents, including its messenger RNA to get your cells to make more viruses. So viruses hack our, our cells and get us to make more of them. And that's how the infection works, unlike a bacteria. But in this case, our cells are, are reading this messenger RNA that's snuck in by, by two methods we'll go into and producing this modified spike glycoprotein and just shedding it into our circulation. So, um, and then once that is in circulation, well, then of course that is sort of like a vaccine and that will trigger the body to make antibodies to it. 
Uh, and in this case, and as we know with coronavirus vaccines, it's not a good idea, it doesn't work. It was abandoned nine years ago for very good reason. So, so these injections are essentially sections, injections of genetic material of viruses. Now the trick is how do they get them into our cells? So Moderna and Pfizer, um, they're, in their case, they're inserted, they're in these tiny nanoparticles, which are, which are made of like layers of uh, kind of a lipid, kind of a fat, fat substance. And it incorporates a little bit of polyethylene which is which is like a polymer of antifreeze um, and so these little nanoparticles have the ability to go and bring things that wouldn't normally get places so they can get the messenger RNA into our cells unfortunately they also cross the blood-brain barrier I mean that's really getting into the sacred temple of a human's existence so it means that this viral genetic material and these nanoparticles are also getting into the brain. Wow. Um, and, and I don't know anybody who wants the brain to start making viral particles for a disease that presents no threat to them. I don't. And so that's Moderna and Pfizer. And then uh, AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson, the way they sneak the messenger RNA or the modified messenger RNA of the virus into our cells is they put it inside uh, the, the shell of an adenovirus. So they use another type of virus because that's how viruses work. Viruses stick to a cell, manage to get some of their contents into the cell, and there the virus hacks our system and uses our system to make more virus and shed it. And then the, the, the process goes on. It's an infection, right? So in the case of uh, AstraZeneca and um, Johnson & Johnson, they use a virus which has been sort of gutted of its normal content and they use that to transport the virus or the modified viral messenger RNA and and who knows what else I don't trust these people so who knows what right. else they put in there but at least that's what they admit is in there um, so yeah that's kind of the the essence of this and there's a lot of problems with it uh, yeah there's a lot uh, of reasons I wouldn't want that yeah that's wild I mean to me just the fact that these companies are immune, at least in the United States, I don't know about in Canada, but they're immune from liability. Um, well, what's, I look at incentives. You know, if, if you can't be sued, then you don't really have too much to worry about. You just need to pump it out, get people to buy it, and start raking in the money. Um, but everything you just said right there, I mean, how many people before getting this vaccine are being told any of this? Well, that's it. And, and this is an angle that we're working on in multiple groups in Canada and I think others around the world, which is, um, yeah, so these uh, big pharma corporations uh, in bed with uh, treasonous politicians, really, uh, they have been given indemnity for any damages. Um, I don't think that, I don't think that means they're indemned from criminal behavior. I don't think that Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden can give anybody a piece of paper and say, yeah, you can go ahead and kill people. So the criminality of it, I, I mean, I pray to God do, deeply that, that, that there is some justice here. Right. But, but, but in terms of like, I mean, right now we're in a crisis in Canada and around the world because right now they've turned their eyes to the children and they want to inject children who have zero risk of being harmed by COVID and who generally do not transmit COVID. Uh, teachers are one of the least infected groups in the world back when they were in schools and with kids. So there's really no reason to uh, be worried about kids, but I'm very worried about kids who receive this injection. When you look at the short-term, medium-term, long-term impacts, if they're alive to get to the long-term impact. And that, that's so, what, uh -huh. oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so I was gonna say, um, so it's true that, uh, you know, Pfizer, Moderna, whoever, they've got this legal or this indemnity for damages. So their injections can kill and maim and they don't have to pay anything from the, I think Pfizer's already made three and a half billion in the first quarter. But, um, but that doesn't mean that the people that give the injections are immune. Mm. And so that's the thing is that, you know, the Nuremberg Code, which is the law on this planet with regards to medical experimentation, right. It has 10 parameters. And I mean, the, the, the most obvious one you just touched on, which is 
If I'm in a medical experiment, I have to know it and I have to consent to it. And there's a lot of other parameters and some of the Nuremberg Code um, uh, parameters would just would say, you can't give this injection to anyone. I mean, the animal studies uh, were too devastating in results yeah. with, with COVID uh, vaccine experiments. And, and the risk of, of harm to people is, is, doesn't, does not justify this. There's no justifying this mass experiment. So um, if I was, say I was working as a doctor or a nurse and you came in and I said, hey, Darren, I got your vaccine for you. And you're like, great. And I stick it in your arm. I've just committed a major crime. Mm-hmm. And this is a common crime, but that doesn't change the fact that this is a major crime. Right. So uh, the liability for the damages will fall on everyone and anyone who facilitated this process and violated the Nuremberg Code. So that's going to include doctors, nurses, clinics that inject this thing. That's going to include politicians who pushed it. That's going to include school boards that pushed it. That's going to include the universities that are forcing and, and, and basically forcing students to take an injection yeah. in order to continue paying them a fortune to go to school. Yeah, which so, is crazy. Uh, I'm actually working on an article with that because I went to Indiana University and I saw that they're requiring you for the, the fall to, to get the vaccine, show proof you've been vaccinated. And that's where I'm tying it into the Nuremberg Code is, is that not coercion to in, in terms of like informed consent and all that? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, we can we can connect outside the show, too, and I'll send you some materials because uh, we've got the materials in place for schools. We haven't got universities, but university students are smart. They could take the uh, existing notice of liability formats that are out there and and tweak them themselves. But I would highly recommend university students uh, probably in numbers would be best. Mm-hmm. but serve notices of liability to the universities uh, saying that uh, any effort to coerce students into this will make you liable both criminally and civilly. And that includes financially liable for all damages and deaths. And that's not just the organization, that's every single person that was involved. So um, I, I, I sent a similar notice to a university that uh, wanted to revoke my position as a lecturer because I told my students that I did not feel that they needed these injections nor that I, 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 would like, I, I wouldn't recommend them. And I said, at least do some research, guys. Look at various opinions. And for that, I was told that I was spreading COVID misinformation and my position as a lecturer would be revoked. And and I replied saying, have you really thought this over? Because do you realize you're committing a crime and you're assuming civil liability for the damages? Every single one of you from the secretary to the person who signed this letter, so. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is someone like yourself, anyone who even questions things, I mean, you, you can't do it. And, and that's always been my big thing is, hey, everyone's pushing, get the vaccine, you know, social distance, don't, basically don't do anything, be a vegetable inside your house, live in fear. Why not get someone on the TV from the other side, present facts and have an honest debate, you know? But, but to me, the fact that someone like yourself gets deplatformed, you know, gets these threats, I mean, that shows their argument doesn't hold a candle because if it does, then they could just beat it with their own, with facts. Oh, sure. I mean, it, it's hard to believe people are falling for this. And, yeah. and I guess... I guess it's fear, you know, because fear lowers people's IQs. And, and um, I talk to people like, oh, I'm going to get the shot. I'm like, why? Well, I don't know. I better yeah. do something. Well, yeah. that's completely lacking any thought content. Right. Yeah. It, it's just like the critical thinking that everyone else is doing it. So um, I know I know we're running out of time here. Um, I yeah, just want no to touch- rush on my side. Pardon me? No rush on my side. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't want to, I know you're a busy guy. And like I said, I appreciate all you do, but um, you know, I've looked into a little bit of the, the alternatives, um, you know, the ivermectin, vitamin D, which I've taken for a few years just for seasonal depression. You probably know about that in Canada and I hardly ever get sick. And I'm thinking maybe it's because I've taken vitamin D religiously in the winter months. Um, but if you want to talk about, you know, 
some of those, the hydroxychloroquine, you talked about a bit, a little bit about that. I've also heard about the quinine. Um, I, I don't know if that, that's a good one. Yeah. Too. So, yeah. So, um, well, I definitely want to talk about ivermectin, but let's take a little sidetrack on hydroxychloroquine and quinine. Mm -hmm. So um, the way we believe this works is um, coronavirus enzymes, uh, they have to utilize an enzyme called replicase in order to replicate their genetic material at one of the steps when they invade it, invade our cells. So this replicase enzyme is essential for the virus to succeed its, in its infection. And the replicase enzyme is suppressed by zinc. So if you had high levels of zinc inside of a cell, it will suppress the replicase enzyme. But the thing is, it doesn't matter how many zinc tablets I take or how much food I eat rich in zinc, my zinc levels are only going to go so high inside my cells. And that's where what's called an ioniform molecule, which is something that causes the, the cell to admit more of the zinc around it. So hydroxychloroquine as well, and to a, in, a, in a weaker form, quinine are ioniform molecules. So they allow the zinc to get into the cell and that suppresses uh, the replicase enzyme, which basically shuts down the virus's ability to, uh, to succeed. And, and we know it works. Mm -hmm. um, but ivermectin, I think, so early on we knew about hydroxychloroquine. And, and I think even to this day, depending on what studies you look at, you find that uh, hydroxychloroquine's effectiveness, you know, you measure, depends which way you measure it. it. It always comes up in the 35 to 80%, which is pretty darn good yeah. when you consider that the absolute risk reduction, a number that they don't tell us with these experimental criminal injections, the absolute risk reduction that it gives you is like, well, I was in a meeting with the, many doctors recently and, and I had quoted 0.7 and 1.1%. And then one of the docs who's just very intelligent detail said, oh, it works out, it's even less than that. It's less than 0.5. But um, so hydroxychloroquine works is definitely an effective thing and as is vitamin d and and there's some other things the the flccc the frontline uh covid care uh coalition i think is what it stands for dr corey's quite an advocate of them or a, a really a front man for that group they've done amazing work and i link to them on on my website for sure as well but that brings us to ivermectin and ivermectin is interesting because ivermectin has been around for uh, about 50 years. It's usually used for parasites. Maybe we should have it's, some politicians take it. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll go away if we take yeah. it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's great. So, and, and, and it's extremely safe. I mean, it's, it's almost like aspirin on the level of safety. And there's places in the world where they take it every week. Uh, we give it to horse every three or four months mm -hmm. to reduce worms like intestinal worms. But it, in the last eight years or so, laboratory studies, somewhat to everyone's surprise, have shown that ivermectin really works great against viruses and, um, and lots of different viruses, including coronaviruses. So uh, early on in the scandemic, I guess we'll call it, um, some countries, in some regions, particularly in Peru and Brazil, you had some regions where the mayors or the public health office actually was trying to help their people. I know that's hard oh, to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were like, let's save some lives here. And what they did is they dished this stuff out. Um, and uh, what you saw was like just dramatic reduction in death, dramatic reduction in number of people sick. I mean, even if you look at people over 65, the mortality rate in some of these countries for some reasons, which might have to do with vitamin D, but for some reasons, there actually were higher mortalities in Latino countries and in Latino subpopulations than in, for instance, Caucasians and, mm -hmm. and um, Afro-Canadian or Afro-Americans. But um, they, their, their mortality rates in the, in the older age group were dropped by 90%. And then studies, so very immediately great there are good doctors in this world, like right. Dr. Corey and the FLCCC, you know, they got very busy doing studies and the studies were producing great results. And then a, a study was published in the, the Lancet, which is usually a credible scientific magazine, medical scientific magazine. 
And this, this study was published saying, nah, it doesn't work. And trials were canceled. We went back to the higher death rates. Um, and that, that study had to be retracted later because it was actually a fraudulent study. Mm. Um, and so now we know that ivermectin is phenomenal, not only for treatment. And when you look at the treatment, I mean, the, the sickest people treated with, when you treat the sickest people with ivermectin, you give them, depending on their weight, you give them about 18 milligrams once a day for five days. Like literally five pills is the, is the strongest treatment needed for anyone. Most people, like if people prescribe it as an outpatient, um, it says take 12 milligrams, take one of these once a day for two to five days, meaning stop when you feel better. And most people feel better on about the second day. So imagine wow. you cure this two pills for like 80% of people. It can be used as a preventative. And that's what they did in, in Peru, Brazil, and eventually other countries where you take one pill the first day, you take another pill two or three days later, and you take one pill every two weeks for as long as the concern is around, as long as that infection is going around. And like, imagine a completely safe thing that's very cheap. Every government could afford it without burying us in debt to some of the worst criminals on this planet. And it works. It prevents the spread and it prevents the disease, you know, for like 80 to 90%. And it can even be used as prophylactic. So let's say, let's say somebody has a partner who actually has COVID and is actually one of those fairly rare people that's actually sick enough with COVID mm -hmm. to know they have it. And they cough in their face and they're exposed to them. They could just take one pill and repeat it 48 hours later and it reduces uh, their infection rate by, I could be off a little bit, I think about 93%. Huh. So we have a great drug. Um, too good to be true. It does and it's mind blowing. And I have a video up on it and a, and a more lengthy article called Ivermectin works. Uh, it's worth anybody's ten minutes. Yeah, I have checked that one out. Yeah, that's, oh, that's thank a you. good one. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, I think it's crazy, and um, obviously there's got to be a, a reason why this information doesn't get out. Um, oh so yeah, sad. the the pro. You know, um, I got a a message from. Uh, uh, a fellow American in Missouri, and and he said it'd be nice to uh, have an interview and hear from behind the Iron Curtain of Canada. Yeah, and there's a lot of truth to that. And and this, in our case, in Canada's case, um, this goes back uh, some years. Uh, I think approximately four years ago, we had a, a situation where it was called the SNC Lavalin scandal, and it's a, a Canadian company very close to um, the Prime Minister of Canada and uh, they were facing criminal charges uh, for bribery and, and some of the things they were involved in were quite concerning as I understand uh, prostituting girls to the Libyan dictator's son you know stuff that's yeah. pretty far out there you don't want people yeah. getting away with this yeah. and anyways um, the top lawyer in our country uh, the uh, uh, what's the term like the attorney general attorney, okay yeah. that like the canadian version of that who's supposed to function independently and is a very ethical and i have a lot of respect for her jody wilson rayball apparently she was pushing she was being pressured to interfere and to stop the prosecution mm -hmm. just have the charges dropped and she said no that's i'm not going to do that because it's not proper and she was under a lot of pressure and eventually she went public. I mean, there was a big public thing. And in that, uh, she basically said, look, here's the, here's the facts, here's the evidence, here's the recordings, here's the dates. I've been pressured criminally. In other words, it was criminal behavior of our government. Uh, and I remember watching that like others did on TV. I mean, it was hours of this testimony. It was on unbelievable. the top lawyer, the top legal authority in our country came out and said, hey, this government is behaving criminally. And then to my surprise, there was no arrest of anyone in the government. And she was fired. And then very shortly after that, our government, our, the prime minister announced the media bailout. 
Now, none of us were aware that the media needed bailing out. I mean, I know mm. that single moms could have used some help with daycare. Yeah. But um, the media was bailed out um, initial budget of $600 million, which grew to $1.2 billion wow. and has never ended. So, so I, I know you guys have your challenges too, but Canada lives in a complete web of propaganda. You know, yeah. our, our state broadcaster... Um, and others, I mean, they're just, they're just on the payroll and the taxpayers yeah. are being buried in debt to be lied to and deceived and, and in some ways, you know, led to slaughter. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just crazy. I mean, it's, oh. it's, like you said, it's, it's state media when they're the ones bailing out, funding it and same in the states, you know, they, they parrot whatever gets handed down, really. Yeah. Uh, they they try to give the illusion that this network or that network, you know, is slightly different, but I mean, the Overton window is, you know, tiny, but yeah. it's, it's yeah. just disgusting. Um, I mean, what do you see going forward? Um, like in the fall, do you think they're going to use flu season as an excuse for more, or do you think people are going to be finally fed up? Well, I don't know if you know, the flu has been cured. <laughs> oh yeah that's right you know and, and this touches on something you mentioned earlier you know um if 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 covid was killing lots of people then more people should be dying right. but what you find generally around the world is fairly flat line on total deaths and you find all kinds of people being classified as having died of covid right being used to generate the fear to push the herd into compliance with everything and to actually even take these experimental injections. Right. Um, and meanwhile, you look at, wow, you know, the flu used to kill people. Oh, people used to die of cancer. People used to die of heart attacks, yeah. you know, but there's just, it's just been this shift of saying, yeah. oh no, we'll, we'll call that COVID. And, and governments have financed this thing. Right. Sadly, uh, medical institutions have been, complacent and participated in that their accomplices in this and some of it's been very effectively done i mean i know in the states for instance um a lot of hospitals went broke during these shutdowns yeah right so while the while the public was told the hospitals are full of people dying of covid the hospitals were empty and were making no money and going broke and then the government comes in and says well actually every time you diagnose somebody with covid, COVID. you get this much Yep. Every time you had, you put a tube down the throat of somebody with COVID, you get this much. Mm -hmm. So there was this uh, economic uh, incentive or pressure yeah. to participate in the crime of misrepresenting death. Yeah. So what happens next? I think really, uh, you know, the ball's in play. You have uh, an organic resistance. Uh, you, me, lots of other people who are saying, no, I'm going to stick with truth. I'm going to stick with things I know to be right. Mm -hmm. um, and then for now, you have people that should be, I don't know, depending where you are, in jail or hung or whatever yeah. it is, whatever you do for treason Gitmo. and crimes against humanity. Yeah. So I'm praying and hoping that that's where we are, that we have justice on this planet. Right. And that then we can get on with a constructive future if that doesn't happen i think unfortunately we can expect more of the this type of shenanigans mm -hmm. i think we can expect a lot of sick and dying people from the results of these injections mm -hmm. uh, and I'll, I'll go into that in great detail in the article that i'm going to publish like i say hopefully within the week um and i don't know i mean maybe we're in for the dark ages you know but but for a lot of people who are going along with this yeah. And, and I say this to, to my own little subgroup, you know, doctors and nurses, um, is I, I like to think of it as the, the, ti the Titanic metaphor, which is, I mean, sure, I gave up a lot of comfort for this. I mean, I've, I've worked hard. I, I've got kids in university. I've got expenses. Um, as you can see, I've kind of downsized. Mm -hmm. uh, and forfeited my income entirely like preemptively which was yeah. i think like in other words let's just get this over with uh i'm not going to be part of it and i'm going to just be a, a, a truth teller mm -hmm. um but if if 
for people that are like, well, you know, for me, it's kind of good. Like, you know, for instance, in Canada, as an emergency doctor, I was labeled uh, an essential worker, you know, yeah. like, which is pretty, pretty sick to decide who's essential and who's not yeah. essential. And I was still able to get in my car and drive places and I could still go to work and make a living. And in fact, I could make extra the more I went along with this stuff and work less because the truth is, I mean, what's happening, a lot of medicines, just people making phone calls that used to be considered illegal to like practice medicine over the phone. Mm. Um, so there's all these little incentives to go along with it. And then on the other hand, if you don't go along with it, well, there's lots of negative re reinforcers. But if we cooperate with this thing and we sink the Titanic, I don't think it matters what luxury suite on the Titanic a person owns. I mean, everybody goes to the bottom. Like anybody who thinks that, you know, they're in the, they're the, you know, Bill Gates and Fauci and Trudeau and, and, and Chinese dictators and mm -hmm. that, that they're going to, that you're in with them and, and they're going to take care of you for helping out They're They have not studied history and geopolitics. So I think it's fools. Anyone going along with this is a fool. Exactly. And yes, there's sacrifices to be made to go against it, but our ancestors have done that before. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, that's really, it is heroic of you to, to see that big picture and to do it. And, you know, if we ever get out of this mess, it's going to be, you know, because of people like you who are willing to forfeit the comfort, you know, for a, a bigger purpose. Um, so, so my hat's off to you. Uh, what, one more thing about like the, the, the yes, flu sir, like, yeah, about the uh, flu season on, um, cause I had pointed that out, you know, many times how all of a sudden there's no flu death and everything's being labeled as COVID and I could never get, how do people not understand this incentive when you're given this money to report it as COVID, of course people are going to do it. I mean, obviously it's not moral or ethical, but people respond to incentives. That's the economics 101. And um, so I posted like a chart of, you know, flu death every year. And then the past year, it's, it's like almost zero. And someone commented, and, and this is a guy I went to school with. He's a bright guy. And uh, he lives in D.C., so that tells you where his mind is. But he goes, oh, this is a good thing. And I said, what? He said, yeah, people wearing masks and social distancing contributed to less flu death. And I'm just like, how can you think this? You know, but it's just how they no matter what the data is, they somehow manipulate it to fit their narrative. So. Oh yeah, it's amazing that anyone trusts them. And, and again, I think fear must be the, the tool that's used to do that. Because if you look at the early models, I mean, I was like everyone else. I mean, oh my God, like 20% of the world's gonna be dead soon. Mm -hmm. I mean, you remember the models they gave us and as reality could not support their their false predictions they just dialed it down to whatever they could sort of justify right you know but again now my big fear and I, i'm not trying to be a fear monger but i think people need to be really aware of this yeah as though it's true that covid didn't really kill a lot of people mm -hmm. really and i mean like people can look at the numbers i'm not the only person saying this every honest scientist i know is saying this right but these injections, I mean, you have more in the United States in four, in about four months on the, the vaccine adverse events reporting system, you have more deaths from these vaccines mm -hmm. than you have from all vaccines combined in 17 years. And yet, what am I hearing? Um, Safe, you know, effective, and brief. And then what? And then what's happening to people who take this, take these injections, develop symptoms and death, which can resemble some of the very broad definition of symptoms given for COVID. Mm. And they're diagnosed with COVID, and they'll say, "Oh, you know, you should have taken the vaccine sooner." So my concern is so far they've had to fake that people are dying, but now that they're killing people, we have to be smart to recognize what's causing it and not go, oh my God, it's the variant. Oh my God, it's, it's COVID. We better go get ourselves a vaccine. Mm -hmm. that, that's my real fear. And, and 
um, I mean, that's, I, I think that's their strategy. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense because I mean, if we're going to use the past little over a year, um, every time something doesn't seem to make sense, they just kind of change the story a little bit. And that's kind of what's so crazy to me is in the beginning, once I started thinking things were off, people are scared. I get it. But when they kept changing the narrative, you don't need a mask. Now you need one. Now you need two. And, and you know, there's all kinds of different examples. I figured people would be like, wait, this doesn't make sense. But they just keep going with it. So in your, you know, kind of scenario that we hope doesn't happen, of course, seems like people are just, they've already set the precedent and they know what they can get away with. So they're going to they're gonna push it to the limit. Yeah, I mean, we have to hope enough of us don't participate and stay alive. Yeah, yeah. It's um, hopefully really, rising. Ashes. But again, yeah. just justice would be the ideal solution. But yeah. I'm sure you guys must be frustrated in the States on yeah. an issue of justice right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we're taught as kids, it's about justice, it's about liberty. And, and the past year has seen that very few people value freedom in the way that, you know, this country claims to and the people here claim to it's people people are afraid and people are are so worried about living to the see the next day that they'll sacrifice everything unfortunately um are you familiar with lourockwell.com uh it's funny i just came across something i was reading something that was from that but I, not enough I, yeah, please I've, tell yeah, me more yeah because i've uh, i've seen a lot of the good um truth telling you know about all this i've seen you know besides like on your website he's got some different things on there so that's definitely once once you get this published or uh once you get some other things or things you've already written you might want to reach out to them and i could try to push that for you too because he's got a pretty good platform he's had a website up a long time so um and anyone else you know that i can think of i'll i'll try to get them out there because you know the more people that can hear the truth you know unapologetic just straight i i mean that's our only chance is, is waking people up so yeah i think so and we and we really do have to work together um so i appreciate it like let's please stay back beyond this interview and share yeah. resources and absolutely, we're, absolutely. All, we're all in the fight for our lives together here exactly exactly it's 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 really about you know humanity survival um human rights and um so your website i'm trying to is it drtrozzi.com trozzi.com yeah doc drtrozzi.com d-r-o-z-z-i.com okay i'll make sure in the show notes to link that um and i know you accept um some kind of donations things like that since you quit your job and everything so go ahead and plug grateful yeah i'm really grateful for that um like i like i say i've just sort of decreased my expenses as much as i can and kind of Mm -hmm. on to uh bit of a more rustic uh, home for my for myself and family um, but uh, people like people have been sending some donations as well as information and as well as prayers but mm-hmm. it, it is very helpful because I, I want to s- stay in this uh, and uh, I want to I'd love to go back to what I'd, I normally do, but I'm not going back until this is right. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to participate in this thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm most importantly, I want people to come and take advantage of the information. Uh, right. I make it my goal. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, a bit of a pigeonhole job. My job, what I'm trying to do is make sure people understand the information in lay terms, but, right. but not, not talking down. Like I really do my research and then I try to explain it clearly, um, and then also link to other resources. We send out a newsletter daily, which mm-hmm. especially, well, good for everyone. There's often American items, but you know, mm-hmm. methods to take action and link other organizations. Like we'll probably send out new when you publish this. We'll send out a newsletter mm-hmm. and let our folks know about uh, what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's all appreciated, and I appreciate what you're doing. I, I mean, yeah. you're obviously standing up in a very broad way even before this scam started for for liberty and freedom and mm-hmm. some decent uh decent western values yeah yeah it's um the way things are going if we don't stop it as much as we can now it's it's just going to keep getting worse 
So are there any other, I mean, I, I think the website is where you can find everything for you. There's nothing else really to plug there, but if you go to drtrozy.com, you can see uh, all of his articles, all of his videos. You can donate, help him out, uh, support him in this fight and um, get on his newsletter. So uh, Dr. Trozy, thanks a lot. I, I really appreciate uh, your time coming on the show and more importantly, just what you're doing to speak out because very few voices, unfortunately, are, are getting to people. Grant, thanks for what you're doing. And uh, we're in this together. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll turn this around. And uh, I don't know, have a, like, I think I'll have a celebration at the end of this all. Yeah. When society looks like something that our forefathers handed us again, yeah. it would be nice to celebrate together. All right. Don't leave me off your invite list then. No way. No way. I'll, I'll show up hungry at your house. Okay. Okay. We'll uh, maybe play some hockey. Well, you'll win. I'm not a very good hockey player, okay. but at least it'll give you a chance to whoop a Canadian. At yeah, all. That's... What is democracy? What is democracy? Got something to do with young men killing each other. When it comes to my turn, will you want me to go? For democracy, any man would give his only begotten son.